folks, and welcome to another episode of On My Mind. This is Shelley Griffith, and I'm very excited to have as my guest today a dear friend that I have known her entire life, and we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting things, so please welcome Whitney Kimball Coe. Yay, I'm so glad to be here, Shelley. We're just tickled to have you with us today, Whitney, and let's start out as I do with most of my guests. Give us some of your early family background, the, the typical where you were raised, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, I love that question because I get to describe growing up in Athens, Tennessee, and knowing you all my life. Um, yeah, I am almost 40 years old, and I've spent uh, the bulk of my life in Athens. I'm the daughter of Art and Ellen Kimball. Ellen Kimball, you know, was a the founder of the Athens Area Council for the Arts, um, or one of the founders and the first director um, of it. And then my dad was a community banker for 45 years here in Athens. So um, I feel like my growing up experience was just very full of community activity, um, participating in community theater shows. Um, my brother Andrew also lives here in Athens, so we, we still kind of have this um, family compound and really close <laughs> connection to our people and place here. Um, the other thing that's important to me about my growing up and my childhood is that I'm also a granddaughter of Mary Ellen and George Knapp. And George Knapp was the president of Tennessee Wesleyan College, now university, and Mary Ellen, of course, was his um, best friend and um, co-conspirator and a, an incredible <laughs> musician. Um, and I just, I, I'm so honored that I get to be part of, uh, of their legacy. I think that's excellent, Whitney, and, and so delighted that, that you're back here doing this. Take us through briefly your college experience, what you were studying, because that's impacting your entire life mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I left Athens to go to Queens University of Charlotte in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and I was thinking I was going to pursue either political science or international studies. And the notion was that I was going to, you know, get out of town, like really travel the world, um, become a global citizen, maybe fall in love with many people across the, you know, across the world, <laughs> have big adventures. Um, and I thought politics or, or international studies might support that kind of lifestyle. But when I got to Queens, I was just... Um, you know, I was 18 years old and it was the first time I'd been away from home and I recognized that I had taken for granted a lot of the beautiful community ties that we have in our small rural town um, of Athens and I became lonely and, you know, started to wonder what is mine to do? Where, where do, will I find connection, happiness, all of those things? And I sort of gravitated over to the religion philosophy department at Queens University. They were asking the questions that were really on my heart and mind um, over there. Questions like, you know, what does it mean to live a good life? Um, what, you know, are we more than just the best or worst thing we've ever done? Um, uh, how do we uh, achieve justice in the world and peace at the same time? Those are questions that um, religion and theology get to um, interact with all over the place. So I fell in love with, with those sorts of questions and those sorts of wonderings, and I had a wonderful experience at Queens. Um, and in the meantime, I fell in love with 
uh, a young man named Matt Coe, um, who I met at a church camp called West Camp Wesley Woods, which is in Townsend, Tennessee, over a summer. Um, and Matt became my best friend pretty quickly, and uh, we stayed together all the way through um, my Queens years. I graduated, and I still wasn't sure what I should be doing, um, but I knew that I wanted to find my way back to East Tennessee. And I found out about this program called Appalachian Studies at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. And I said to Matt, I think I want to go do that. And he said, well, will you marry me first? And then <laughs> we'll, we'll go together and it'll be our first real big adventure. And that is exactly what it was. We moved to Boone, North Carolina um, at the very last minute, just as I was about to go to my first class, Matt found out he got a job. Um, as a school teacher, and he is a special ed teacher now for the last 17 or 18 years, and he got a job in Mountain City. We lived um, without much heat in Boone. I've never been so cold in my life, um, and those first two years of marriage were definitely a time of learning and growing together, and also me coming to understand even more deeply how special our region is, how special our community of Athens is. Um, and so I was able to take all of those learnings from religion, philosophy, and then Appalachian studies and translate them, I think, into a job that I didn't even know existed, um, which is a rural advocacy position at the Center for Rural Strategies, which is where I am now and where I've been for the past 15 years. I think that's, that's a great story. Get, get married and go to class. Yeah. Boom. No yeah. honeymoon. But... And share with us, Whitney, because, and, and you've shared with me and enlightened me over the years about the, the rural strategies. I think it's a fascinating uh, service for, for the country. Share with us uh, certainly your position and what you have been able to do in, in your travels and mm -hmm. learning about other rural areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rural Strategies um, is a nonprofit. It's small. We say it's small but mighty. It is based in Whitesburg, Kentucky, which is the coal region of southeastern Kentucky, um, just near southwestern Virginia and up east, upper east Tennessee. Um, it was started by several uh, individuals who are, have a background in journalism and media and communications, and they had been working at a place called Apple Shop. Um, and where they were telling stories about Appalachia and about um, the history and culture of our place. Um, and while they were working at Apple Shop, I think they, they realized that we not only need to change the story we're telling ourselves about where we live and, and change the way we tell the story about ourselves to the world, but we also need to be advocating for better policy for rural communities and small places. So they started Center for Rural Strategies to do that in 2001, and I joined in 2008. And the first thing that I did in 2008 was meet up with those guys in Washington, D.C. for a Hill briefing um, uh, at the United States Congress um, where we talked about rural poverty and, um, and, and also rural opportunity, what it means to live in a small town where you know everybody, um, where you have really strong social connections, which can lead to a lot of really cool things coming together. And at the same time, we know that small towns, rural places are somewhat cut off from the resources that are so available in urban centers like New York City, like the difference between where we live here in Athens and maybe even Knoxville. Um, you know, in bigger, in bigger places, 
you can uh, see your oncologist, you can choose from a multitude of public schools, you can um, you know, have access to amenities like broadband um, without much difficulty. Um, whereas in smaller towns, you know, you'd have to drive uh, hours to get to that oncologist or you have to, um, you know, go out into the middle of a field and hold your cell phone in a certain <laughs> way up high in the air to get a signal, you know, and, uh, and a lot of the reasons for this are because U.S. policy favors density population and places that have centralized resources. So that would be, you know, urban centers. So in a lot of ways, rural people and places have been left behind um, as our country has moved forward. And, um, and I think the, my focus at Rural Strategies is on making sure that we are telling the story of how rural America is so important to our nation, how the health and well-being of our, our place is so important and also that we have a lot to contribute um, and a lot to teach the world, I think, about how to stay in relationship with one another, even when we're, um, when we have so many differences um, across experiences and, and politics. Because as you know, in a small town, you can't afford to break relationship necessarily or, um, yeah, or lose those connections. And so we, we have a muscle um, around that that I think we could share with the rest of the country. How many folks, Whitney, are with Rural Assembly? So I run, right, I do, with, yeah, I, so Center for Rural Strategies has two programs, um, <clears throat> and we have about 14 staff members who live ac across the country in all four time zones. Uh, every morning I come in, I turn on my laptop, and I talk to, um, you know, my colleagues in Minnesota, in Oregon, Arizona, mm -hmm. Kentucky, um, New England. So I'm, I'm really connected to all of them via Zoom um, and sometimes in person. And then we have two programs that we really focus on. One is the Daily Yonder, which is the, a, a rural um, news online. It's, like a, it's a platform. It's a rural newspaper that's online, um, dailyyonder.com. And then the other program is the one that I run, which is the Rural Assembly. And I've sort of developed that since 2008 to be a gathering space for rural leaders from across the country, all 50 states, to actually come and be in person with one another and find things in common and then partner with one another so that we can advocate and raise our voices for better policies for rural places. And you've had the opportunities many times to travel, as you point out, put these these gatherings together mm -hmm. and, and uh, share with us a couple or more of your exciting times and and uh, that, that you've enjoyed as a, an advocate for them. Mm -hmm. the, I think the coolest thing about my job is that I get to live and work in my hometown um, and learn from the people among whom I live, you know, from at St. Paul's uh, here on Main Street in Athens, um, at the Arts Center, I feel like I'm really invested and connected here in Athens, and those connections uh, I'm able to take into my work, which is nationally focused. Because I have such experience here, I feel like what I bring to the table nationally is um, is more authentic, is more honest mm -hmm. about what it's like to live and work in a rural place. And some of the, the really cool things that we've pulled off as a rural assembly, I mean, uh, we uh, have had more hill visits, more um, 
uh, briefings on the, uh, the Hill in DC. We've uh, been invited to speak on at various big, big events <laughs> like the Obama um, Foundation Summit. Um, which was in Chicago in 2017, and just tell the world more about um, why these small towns are so important. Um, I just got back from a, uh, a trip to Boston um, where the Main Street America event was held. And you know, we, are, we have a Main Street here in Athens. We're um, an accredited Main Street program that's run by Lisa Dotson. And this was a gathering of all the Main Streets. And you know, uh, so it was, it was a packed conference of maybe 2,000 people, and rural assembly was invited to do the keynote. So I got to give a, you know, a speech to these folks and and talk to the best part was talking to them afterwards and hearing their stories about how much they love where they live, how worried they are about where they live, mm. um, and one, you know, and their wonderings about how do we rethink what we value in this country and who we value in this country. So. Yeah. Very, very important work, I think. Uh, and as you uh, take this, and I'm going to get into some of your local activities mm -hmm. in a second, but with your job, share with us what might be some of the most frustrating situations, yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's probably the same kinds of frustrations that you encounter in any job that where you feel a sense of purpose or call like you know and I, I feel I feel really called to to be in this space of helping people connect one another and work together and make change but change is slow and transformation you know is hard and working across difference is really hard and uh, you know I think one of the major frustrations that I face in my work is that people see rural America as a monolith of opinion that or just you know they see us as a single story we're all white we're all conservative politically perhaps maybe we uh, most of us live on farms um, we might be a little backward that's the national story in a lot of ways and it and it you know feeds into how we write policies for places um, so I feel like I'm, I'm constantly bumping up against that and having to defend in some ways um, rural livelihoods and, and just the fact that, you know, we are incredibly, we are an incredibly diverse place across race, across experiences and backgrounds and stories. Some of those stories are, have been hidden in some ways and we have to reveal them again like here in Athens, the Freehill exhibit um, that was at the, the Art Center and the, um, the work that this community has been doing to excavate and remember what Freehill was, this community of, um, of black Americans who um, had, had built their own community um, over where the YMCA is now in St. Mark's. Um, and it was raised during urban renewal in the 1960s and, and really wiped off. The, um, that hill and its land was uh, taken by TWC and so there's you know all that to say there's there are layers and layers of stories and um, layers and layers of, of difference and so change um, and the transformation we seek in the world moves slowly because we have to take the time to peel, peel back those layers peel back what we think we know about one another and the stories we tell ourselves about each other um, and it's both an internal thing 
uh, that we got to work through locally, and it's an external thing in, in which rural has to tell the world who we are and what we're about. I think that's very well said, and you do such an awesome job telling this story around, and little by little, as you say, mm -hmm. uh, I think that peels back, people understand, and we will hopefully get a lot more of of these things we deserve mm -hmm. in the rural areas. Mm -hmm. Share with us, on a different note, your involvement in community theater, uh, from being in performances to being a director. You come by it honestly because of the family, but share with us some of those fun times. Yeah, oh gosh, I love community theater. It's kind of my go-to example for how we do life together. Um, community theater is the coming together of like people from all kinds of walks of life and persuasions and you are consenting to create something, create a show, um, and, and deliver it to an audience, right? So I just, gosh, I just, I love the whole process of building a performance with friends and family. So some of my favorite um, roles have been Mary Magdalene in Jesus Christ Superstar was absolutely the, the pinnacle. I, getting to sing um, Everything's All Right and um, I don't know how to love him. <laughs> like, I just can't believe I got to do that. And in a small town like Athens, that's the thing. <laughs> you can have that opportunity. Maybe I'm not Broadway material, but I'm, you know, I'm. Uh, I've got an opportunity here in Athens to embody that role and sing those songs that are so precious and wonderful. Let me stop you. Yeah. You are Broadway material. Folks, my role in community theater is very limited on stage, but I'm a booth man with a dear friend, and Whitney knocked the socks off of those songs, so I'm just sorry people can't see that show, <laughs> everybody, but sorry, go right ahead. No, that's so sweet, thank you. And then, you know, Josh Bragg, our, our oh. beloved Josh Bragg, our uh, middle school music teacher now, um, and longtime arts center participant, anyway, he was Jesus, and... I mean, when, when else would I have gotten to have that experience to work with a really incredible singer, musician, person like Josh? So um, community theater delivers that sort of experience. Another favorite of mine was Annie. I was in seventh grade <laughs> at Athens. Um, well, it's Athens City Middle now, but it was Athens Junior High then. And Pam Wilburn and Renee Michelow cast me as Annie. And I was, you know, this gangly awkward seventh grader as we all as we all go through this right um with braces and long long red hair that was not curly but i did have you know had freckles and everything um, and i remember them putting that annie wig on me and it was a cross between you know just intense pride at getting to be that part and honor that i got to be that in that part but at the same time i looked at myself in the mirror and i just started crying because i was like i'm about to go out in front of all my uh, adolescent friends, you know, with this wig on my head, and I just looked ridiculous. Um, but it, so it was, that was a growing experience, and it was just a really wonderful um, opportunity to, to do that show. Community theater is second to none, really. It's just how many shows do we do now? Like six, six a, year? a year? Yeah. Um, and now my kids are in it. It's and you know, oh, and sometimes. I'm in it with my brother or my, my parents. With you, I just think, uh, what a gift, really. Absolutely. And that's what we talked about with a friend last week, the bonding 
in those six weeks, seven weeks of rehearsals, then the production, and then all of us getting that letdown, you know, for a number of days after that because this becomes uh, a great experience and new people who get involved, uh, almost a new family for many of them, and they come back and, as we love to say, we've hooked them. Mm-hmm. And, and a great example is our dear priest, Claire Brown, oh, right. who is now hooked. And uh, she's uh, taking up a lead role in an upcoming production of The Little Prince. So we're very excited <laughs> that, that Whitney and I and others have, have hooked somebody into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, <clears throat> as you go forward uh, with career and different situations, and certainly <clears throat> your involvement at the church has been uh, exceptional. Uh, search committees, all the things you do, uh, you know, lay preaching and stuff. Take us a step forward, if you will, Whitney, into some of your thoughts for the future. Mm-hmm. You're young. Matt's young. The girls are young. What have you been kind of looking at now for some future mm-hmm. events mm-hmm. or, or a, situations, I guess? That's a good setup. Um, <laughs> that's uh, my job. That's my so job. Um Well, you know, during the pandemic, like a lot of people, I had a little bit of time to sit, think, and reflect about the trajectory of my life and where, you know, where I do feel called um, to be of service. And, you know, I think, I think I also, as I'm heading into my 40s, have a new sense of who I am, or maybe not a new sense, just a more um, defined sense of who I am, and that allows me to be a little bit more courageous, and maybe think about taking a new risk and, and pursuing something that feels a little bit new. So over that period of time, Matt and I had deep conversations about what was next for us, and I decided that I wanted to pursue a call to ministry that I've been feeling for quite some time, probably even before I, you know, uh, walked into that religion philosophy department at Queens University of Charlotte, I think it's this is something that's uh, I've been feeling um, pulled toward since I was maybe even a child, and I was holding my granddaddy's hand at Trinity United Methodist Church one day and asking him about uh, heaven and hell and what's <laughs> real and did Jesus really walk on water and all of those things, and of course if you knew, knew George Knapp. Um, he would probably, I, I'm trying to remember how he responded, but I just, I just remember the spirit of it. He just chuckled at me, gave me a hug, and he said, well, what do you think? And that, uh, that kind of dialogue that I had with him all my growing up years was definitely formative. So back to the pandemic, just um, Matt and I decided it was time for me to to take this next step and what that means that call to ministry in the Episcopal Church what that means is that you have a process you can follow to help you discern next steps and discernment is this notion of uh, getting in touch with the Holy Spirit that lies within you and, and all around us um, and asking a lot asking yourself a lot of questions about you know why, why, are you feel, why do you feel compelled to be on this path? What is it that animates you or motivates you um, to want to be a, a, a preacher or a teacher or a priest, perhaps? Um, so I raised my hand and basically said to our bishop, I'm, I'm ready to start pursuing this call. And so they launched me into this discernment process that the Episcopal Church has. 
and that's taken that discernment process has taken two two and a half years or so um, and it's very deliberate it's built in a way that is it's intended to slow us down um, I know in some traditions you know if you're 13 and you raise your hand and say I feel called to preach they put you right in the pulpit and that's probably fine um, it, it, for me this has been a better process because it's given me time space and like intentional uh, an intentional way to think about what it is that I want to do next yeah, so now I'm at this inflection point of um, deciding where to go. you got to have a Master of Divinity um, to become ordained in the Episcopal Church. And so you got to find the right seminary that's a, or a divinity school that's a good fit for you, your interests, and your hopes for your vocation. And that's, that's really where we sit right now. Are we finding, Whitney, that more people, maybe a silly question, I've tried to observe more people in the Episcopal faith perhaps have done other things in life first like you're pointing out mm -hmm. not just college seminary pulpit mm -hmm. is that correct for our profession yeah, I mean I our mean, faith I've, I've certainly um, I certainly know a number of priests who have uh, heeded the call later in life or had you know had a career change um, in my search for a divinity school or the right seminary, I've gone to a bunch of open houses and I've run into a lot of students who run the gamut of age and experience and you know where they're coming from. So, uh, in fact, I was just on the Harvard campus and I, I met um, a 66-year-old man who uh, had spent most of his life in corporate America as a lawyer and also during the pandemic, God was speaking to him. The Holy Spirit was filling him up, and he was like, "I gotta, I gotta walk through this door and change, wow. change the course." So I don't know if it's just Episcopalians who uh, experienced that. I, I doubt it. I'd say, yeah. um, you know, we're all called to some sort of ministry, um, whether we call it a ministry or service or a um, or just a way of being in the world. I think we're all we're all certainly called. The the trick sometimes is just being able to put your finger on what it is. And I remember Hendry Harrison, uh, our former priest at St. Paul's, one time said to me that um, calling is often found at the corner of opportunity, need, and uh, of opportunity and need. Um, mm -hmm. So if you can look around your life and think about, you know, where do you see the need? Where do you see the opportunity for your gifts to make a difference? And and for me, I'm I'm realizing that a lot of the sets that I've developed over the years and a lot of my background lends itself to the kinds of skill sets that I think the church could use. Oh, that's excellent. And I, I would agree 100% that, that that calling is perfect in what you've done and you will, you will be great at doing that. I think uh, as you as you look, would it, and this may not be the right way to put it, uh, because I think it will. But uh, in in moving from an area, because you know we don't have divinity schools immediately right here, uh, moving the family. You and Matt have discussed that, mm -hmm, I assume, and mm -hmm. and and then with the girls, and that you have arrived then at that 
decision that that's going to be right. Yeah, I mean, and that's hard. That is so hard, and it's really scary. Um, I'd say, I guess, the closest seminary to us is Swanee, right? It's mm. two two hours, two a little bit maybe plus away, and you know, seminary requires your full presence and attention. Um, and they have online seminaries now, so that's a possibility too. But so much of my life has been spent now, especially in these last years, in a remote work environment on Zoom. Um, and I think my body and soul and mind are just ready for this person experience. So yeah, it means that my family and I need to move um, to have that experience and, and adventure is that's how Matt and I are framing it to ourselves. Is this is going to be a great adventure. It's going to stretch us. It's going to stretch our imagination. It's going to stretch our girls because, uh, you know, they, Athens is what they've known and, and it's beautiful that this is what they've known. But I also get excited thinking about all the exposure they're going to have yeah. to different people in different places. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, Definitely in our future to have to move and leave Athens for at least three years. Well, and that that I can say on behalf of literally uh, hundreds of people in this community will be a sad day for us, but a blessed day watching you all move forward into another adventure. And I'm sorry, but this vision came up. You all had just been at Disney World, correct? Yeah. And all I could say in my mind was, Tomorrowland. Does that does <laughs> that fit anything? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. But no, it just it's great. What would you say, Whitney, to uh, kind of wrap things up to those young people who went through what you did and who do it every day? I'm going to move away from my small town and my home, but I came home. What advice can you give those those young people about their uh, seeking that final place they want to be, uh, you know, like you did. Hmm. That's, hmm, that's a beautiful question. It's and everybody's different, right? I've you know I've been thinking a lot about our um, our LGBTQ and trans yes. neighbors and friends um, here in in town and you know across the state of Tennessee and across rural America. You know, right now they must be feeling. Um, embattled and under a lot of stress and a lot of grief and rage at their hometowns and at their communities. So to them, you know, what would I, it's, it's just so interesting to think about the different audiences here. I'm a, a young white woman of privilege who is well connected and has an incredible family and the notion of leaving Athens and coming back is um, is fairly fluid. It feels fairly easy, and it's also something that I can take joy in. And then there are folks who have deeper questions and deeper concerns and have to find themselves um, and where, and, you know, find where they feel safe and loved and secure. And I think, so what I would say to any any person perhaps then who's a homecomer or thinking about leaving or thinking about coming back, no matter where you live, no matter your zip code, love yourself and surround yourself with companions who love you as well um, and build that foundation with them and with, within yourself. Um, and then I think it comes clear. It comes clear about where you need to plant your feet and maybe where your calling is and maybe where, um, where you feel like you can bloom. <laughs> 
and maybe it's going to be back in your hometown and maybe it won't and that's okay too so i don't know that's a wide a roundabout way of just saying uh, i think loving yourself loving your neighbors um, is, is where you find that clarity and foundation in a lot of ways beautifully said beautifully said thank you so much and I'm going to tap you in on my to-do list again for another episode as we move through these these changes in your life. Oh, and yeah. So tickled. A big reveal about where we'll go and where we're going to live. Please, we can do that. <laughs> and how, how we will live. <laughs> and, and how you will do. But I'll catch you on the other side where we've got a little bit of time mm-hmm. in grade and we'll do that. But what a delight to have you with us today. And folks, I'm so happy to have had Whitney Kimmel Cole with us. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. And as I say to each and every one of you, please have a safe and healthy day. And I'll see you a little further up the road.